Welcome to episode 42 of the One Last Sketch Podcast, a show dedicated to science fiction, fantasy, and history. I'm Michael. I'm Marie. And I'm Corey. Today's episode is going to cost us an arm and a leg because today we're talking about Full Metal Alchemist. Woo, finally. I mean, we're using our tried and true method of talking about something that we all consumed ages ago because that's always the best way to review something when you barely remember how it went. We're also doing a bit of a cross-media experiment today because I read the manga and you guys watched the anime adaptation, but neither of us has seen the other thing. I've actually watched both adaptations. The original adaptation came out, I think, while the series was still being produced in comic form. Mm -hmm. So it has an earlier ending, and they had to create an original ending for the series. And then Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, which is the better series, actually adapts the whole story of the comic. And that's the one I've seen. Yeah, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood came out 2009 to 2010, so it too actually was produced at the point where the comic was wrapping up, because the manga was being serialized and published between 2001 and 2010. Mm -hmm. The manga is by Hiromu Arakawa, I read it quite a while ago, it's 27 volumes. A word I used a lot in our last episode was interesting, the word I'm probably going to use or Full Metal Alchemist is great. Yeah. Writing is That's... not a problem in this in this series. <laughs> I have not seen either anime adaptation. I don't really have a desire to see the anime adaptation until such time as the plot and characters fly out of my mind and I want to revisit this. But even then, the manga is really great. <laughs> Yeah, and so is Brotherhood. The first attempt at adapting it has some charm to it, for sure. It's not It's not terrible. It's not bad. It's just Brotherhood is much better. I tried to write an outline for this episode, and it completely failed me, because we have not seen the same thing. Mm-hmm. But in a way, we have, because my understanding is Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood is pretty close, or maybe one of the best adaptations of a comic book mm-hmm. ever made in terms of capturing the look and feel and the plot and characters of the series that it's based on. But I can't verify that, so we're going to find out. Neither can I, because I haven't seen the thing it's, you know, rendered from. Yes, I am also unable to comment on this. What a great and useful podcast this shall be. Also, bold move with all of us to deliver our, like, final judgments at the beginning. Like, this is a good sign. I don't know if there's much argument, though, to say Full Metal Alchemist is great. Because this is usually suggested as the entry point if you want to get into manga. Mm. It's also suggested as the entry point if you want to get into anime and haven't seen any before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a friend who told me his first entry into anime was Neon Genesis Evangelion. I was like, that was a terrible idea. I don't know who told you that would be a good plan, but, you know... Well, mine was Wadamote. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sorry, j- j- just t- to clarify, Neon Genesis Evangelion is amazing. Oh, it's very good. It is not entry-level. <laughs> it's just, you know, you'd like something that sort of ends 
<laughs> this definitely has a nice ending because it was written by the original author to like stop and the, all the plot gets like wrapped up so that's great neon genesis doesn't do the, that <laughs> anyway the other part of it is that full metal alchemist ran in a shonen magazine this is aimed at uh 10 to 12 year olds as the main audience there's a lot there for people who are older but it's also a very much an all ages Mm-hmm. entry points mm-hmm. which certain other manga and anime that we like definitely isn't mm-hmm. yeah i think um as far as all ages material goes it is again it's one of the better examples of it because watching this as an adult there's a lot of things you realize a lot of subtext that would go over a kid's head um but it does it in such a way where even as an adult i I guess what we're trying to say is it engages you differently. It's something that can still, despite being targeted at a younger audience, appeal to an adult in a way that's actually worth viewing, worth consuming. I also think thematically it works for all age levels. Mm-hmm. Like even as a young person, you will understand the deeper themes of Full Metal Alchemist. You might appreciate them more if you're older, but you yeah. could have a conversation with an 11 year old about Full Metal Alchemist, and you'd be operating at about the same level and wouldn't be boring each other. And you can't say that for a lot of other media that's aimed at that audience. One thing it does well, I mean, one of the central themes ultimately is kind of the human conversation with God. And it it does that kind of existential aspect of it very well. I mean, it's in the name that the main theme is brotherhood. (laughs) And I like that about this story, that it is mainly about the two central characters, Edward and Alphonse, and their relationship. Which is just, since it's not like a romantic relationship, like it is between most other leads of this kind of cast, it's so refreshing, actually, that it's just a a story about two people who care about each other on that level. Fraternal level. So as noted in the title of the anime adaptation full metal alchemist is about two brothers they also are good at alchemy so good that when they're younger they try and resurrect their dead mother this goes horribly wrong you're not supposed to do that it breaks the fibers of the universe yeah so (laughs) in this universe alchemy is magic let's let's just be honest call a spade a spade Mm -hmm. um it's the story describes it as being a science. So there are scientific principles behind which it's supposed to operate. There are certain rules you're supposed to follow. It is ultimately magic. That's what it amounts to. But they try to give it a somewhat logical explanation for how it works. And one of the kind of, because it's constrained to these rules, one of the things you can't do is return the dead to life. Mm -hmm. Um, This is very much a universe where soul as an entity arguably exists and so all you can do is create a body but even then you can't do it properly mm-hmm. so as a result of trying to resurrect their dead mother uh, edward elric the one brother ends up in this strange between world and encounters an entity that introduces him to just how costly the one of the laws of alchemy is which is the law of equivalent exchange for every action, loses... there is an equal and opposite reaction. <laughs> Edward loses his arm and his leg. His brother, Alphonse Elric, loses his entire body. 
and only through some quick action on Edward's part is his soul bound to an old suit of armor that happens to be hanging around in the place they do this. And after this happens, their goal is to get the arm and the leg back and to get Alphonse's body back by whatever means they can. And in that case, that means joining the military because only the military has the funding that will allow them to investigate the Philosopher's Stone, an object that will allow them to transmute materials without needing to obey the law of equivalent exchange. I mean, so the name alchemy makes sense, because this was the whole thing that Newton and everyone else at the time were trying to do. Hmm. So, Oh, I'm not saying it doesn't make sense. I'm just saying it's magic. Yeah, it is magic. Um, yes. I think it's worth pointing out, they don't, they actually, they don't both join the military, just Edward does. Um, and Alphonse, I mean, Alphonse effectively does, because he goes everywhere with El- Edward, he's always helping him, but only one of them technically does join. Mm, yeah. Only one wears the coat. Yeah. Because the coat, the coat's in this manga. Yeah. So the des- we'll get to the design later, I'm sure, but I, the visuals in this story are great, so... This is all plot background. Getting into the actual plot of Full Metal Alchemist is kind of hard to do because it is immensely complex. Yeah. I mean, the great thing about this plot, as complicated as it is, is that everything does get tied up at the end. So, as it expands and forks, you can be reassured that the things are not going to actually get dropped. That's a nice thing about it. If I would use one phrase to describe Full Metal Alchemist, it is propulsive storytelling. There are 27 volumes of this. You will blow right through it. Yeah, like the, 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 it never drops. Like it, it has like, obviously there's surges of activity and then like moments between like events. But that's just, like you still want to know what happens next because the next thing is always like compelling. Well, I think part of it too is there's, the end goal is very clearly defined right from the beginning. Um, Edward and Alphonse want to undo their mistake and heal themselves. And everything that happens along the way, realistically, is just somehow a contribution to that. Mm -hmm. Um, Politics get brought into it, civil war gets brought into it, a bunch of other characters, many of whom are quite awesome, get brought into it. But ultimately, for the brothers at least, the goal never changes. Mm -hmm. It gets interrupted and it gets complicated, but they always know what they're after Mm -hmm. and everything they do is leading them towards it. I mean, it's helped that the... I mean, Edward's the... Effectively, the central character. And, I mean, he's always driven. Like, that's one of his character traits. I think having that trait helps this plot go along. Um, But we probably should say, like, how much we're getting going to get into spoiler territory. Since this is a good entry level, we might not want to, like, totally blow everything. I also think this is hard to spoil just because of the complexity of the plot. Yeah. We're not going to... If you wanted... If you wanted to spoil it, you would need to explain the background and events leading up to a spoiler to such an extent. Yeah. And and that is effectively difficult to do. And even if you somehow knew all the lines, the people are still compelling enough that it'd be fun to watch or probably to read. Part of it too, like I said, um, the main character's goal is very clearly defined the whole way through. Some of the complications they get dragged into are really complex. Like, what for them starts out as, we miss our mother, we want to bring her back, we screwed up horribly, now need to get fixed, very quickly devolves into saving the world. 
Like, because without realizing it, they get dragged into events that are part of their, that ultimately contribute to the quest or the quest leads them towards events that literally have the world in the balance. So it kind of becomes this interesting thing where achieving their own goals kind of relate to saving the world at the same time. That is also an earmark of good storytelling. <laughs> Full Metal Alchemist does start out a bit episodic in the manga. And like you said, the story ebbs and flows in a way, but later on the streams come together, and by the time you're in the latter half, everything's moving towards this one point. You never get that feeling that anything's disconnected from anything else. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's it, because there's a little bit of like detective work that sort of is happening, and things that are hidden that are becoming revealed, it sort of makes sense that at the beginning... Because their quest is kind of like a research question. It's like, where do I look to answer this question? And so it's just like following up really like loose possibilities to find something. And then as things fully, as you get that, that all the, these entanglements are part of an underlying threat. And then that's the thing that everyone starts to kind of focus on. Um, then, yeah, it sort of makes sense. So it actually nicely sort of organically sort of happens that these mm-hmm. two brothers... Who don't? Who might feel like they're sucked into this, but then they're like, "Oh wait, this was always part of the thing that was happening anyway." <laughs> so, I think the weakest part of Full Metal Alchemist is the beginning, and that again is contrary to a lot of other works of long-form serialized fiction, which are the exact opposite. <laughs> In the case of the beginning, I think just because so much happens and because things expand and change so much over the course of the story, it almost help can't, it almost can't but help being like the weakest part of the story and the most episodic. We literally entered this universe with no knowledge of how it's supposed to work. And so the beginning sections of it are effectively establishing the rules that that's all they do. Yeah. And it sort of, sort of shows that like, I mean, Ed, Edward, um, um, sort of is is posited as like a really good alchemist, but then it's also clear that he's really novice in a lot of ways too. So you don't have an expert he's, at at the start. He's technically strong, but the other parts are lacking. Mm-hmm. I, I think the important thing is he he's effectively a prodigy, so he's very good at alchemy. Um, but he is still a kid. Yeah, he's. You know, he, he lacks certain degrees of experience that would make him a more rounded person. All he has, effectively, is what he's good at. And that leads him to being cocky in other areas at times. And he's short, and he's always mad about that. And he is short, yes. <laughs> and he's very sensitive about his height, which is a running gag. Yeah. Not... I love that that becomes not a gag later on. <laughs> Without saying anything about that. That kind of story twist mm-hmm. happens a lot in Full Metal Alchemist, where you thought something was a joke or a one-off thing, and it ties back into the main story and suddenly becomes very important due to some reveal. And keep in mind that when we say the beginning of Full Metal Alchemist is the weakest part, compared to 90% of manga, this is still better. <laughs> At the beginning, yeah. I, I mean, that's that's a big thing to be taking a sample from. So yeah, yeah I, I think keeping context and proportionality in mind here, it's weaker compared to the rest of itself. It's still a lot stronger than a lot of other things. Yeah, because everything's very interesting. It's just sort of light. Like the heaviness of the story increases as time goes on, and I kind of think that sort of reflects the strain on the characters too. Because at the beginning, 
Yeah, I mean, the fact that you fucking lost your brother's body because you tried to, like, break the universe, I think is, you know, a strain that Edward's always dealing with um, in his own way. But it's also kind of, like, not as bad as some of the things that are going to come up. We already discussed some of the main themes, but I did want to briefly touch on how a lot of this series also revolves around disability. Specifically, Edward Elric wears prosthetics. Mm -hmm. And Alphonse is an entire prosthetic. Yeah. Yeah. So, in the... um... So this is a Cartesian universe. Yeah. (laughs) I I don't know if it's translated the same in the comic adaptation, but in the show, it's called Automail. Yes, same word. Okay, yeah. So... What these are is robotic, pseudo-robotic, kind of steampunky robotic prosthetics. Um, so Edward loses an arm and a leg. He has them replaced with the, with automail synthetic um, or prosthetics. Yeah. But they're effectively just as good as a real arm and a leg. He, and I think that was kind of a concession to storytelling in that if you had him kind of hobbling around on a wooden peg, there's certain things that he needs to be able to do for the story that wouldn't work. Uh, but there's like because like Winry, who's his uh, his main automail mechanic, is like becomes a fundamental character because you need other people if you're an automail user. So it, I it, I don't think it, it's just like to to allow this character to have a major loss and function because I mean one of the other characters who tried to do a similar thing lost like internal organs and that mm. she doesn't have automail internal organs she just. Doesn't just coughs up blood, and it's not totally clear what exactly else goes on with her. But that is actually a really good point because Edward's arm and his leg both get broken numerous times throughout the story, and it's not like he breaks a bone; it's his arm literally gets destroyed. And it's like, well, you need to have it replaced. He's or or it's like misfires at key points when he needs it to work, and it's like important for failures in the plot. but it's also kind of allows for, like, the technology of the state, because instead of being, like, a magic universe like Dungeons & Dragons, where things just all run on magic, things do run on technology, and alchemy's treated like technology in that mm. way. Automail doesn't seem to run on alchemy. It runs on some other kind of sciencey science-ness, where it, like, somehow hooks up to, like, the things in your body so that you have the exact same control over it that you would, like, an actual hand. Um, yeah, but without, it also isn't like the Winter Soldier where it's like a really strong arm necessarily. It's got weaknesses to it. This is also a setting where a lot of people have lost limbs. Yeah, there's lots of war <laughs> ants. in various ways. All over the place. Like, automail is pretty common, it, it seems. Yeah, so it's, the time frame is... Roughly equivalent to, I'd say, about the 1920s. It sounded about right to you guys. Yeah. It's not equivalent to modern technology, so you do still have a lot of people who do dangerous professions or who have survived wars that don't really have kind of the benefits, excuse me, of like modern medicine the way we do in our world. So automail is one of the ways we're worked into the story to help treat that, to help. It's just like you have like a... Um... A Cooper in one place, and then you have a Smith in another, and then you have, like, an automail mechanic. It's, like, one of the general sort of trades. And it's, uh, yeah. It's neat. 
Did you have more thoughts about like disability studies type things that you wanted to bring in, Mike? Or nope. Okay. <laughs> I was hoping you would. Well, I mean, the I general think, um... the general case of disability studies is that if you have an environment that just um, supports an individual, then there isn't actually any such thing as a disability. Disability is only relative to what's going on around you. So, in a universe where there's lots of automobile mechanics, it's kind of like. Uh, yeah, you just got to get tuned up as opposed to what a terrible loss you've suffered. Well, I think one thing we're ignoring that is probably worth talking about in regards to disability studies is Alphonse. I mean, yeah, Edward loses an arm and a leg. Alphonse literally has his soul bonded to a suit of armor. Yeah. Um, despite not having muscles or, you know, bones or anything, he it becomes an animate suit of armor, so he's able to move around and walk in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but Alphonse's big thing is he loses all of the physical ties to his humanity because of that. Um, I think he's able to feel things like he can feel some pain, some sensation, but he doesn't need to eat. He doesn't need to sleep. He can't sleep. Yeah. He he physically can't sleep. And Mm -hmm. so for him, his disability is literally being cut off from a good chunk of what it means to be a person. Yeah. And I think he doesn't feel pain, but he's always concerned because I mean, if the armor breaks down, then he's gone. <laughs> That's because he's actually more fragile, even though he is literally attached to a suit of armor, well, yes which and, is what makes him kind of interesting. Yes and no. Um, the suit, the armor physically gets broken a couple times, and again, Edward's able to repair him. Alphonse's big weakness is the only thing tying him to the armor is a circle that Edward drew inside of it. It's some alchemical symbol mm-hmm. that Edward literally drew in his own blood when they screwed up trying to summon their mother. And if anything happens to that circle, Alphonse is just gone. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple parts where they get captured, and there's char- there's bad guys literally just threatening to drag a knife across it, and that will kill Alphonse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, but he's almost... And he also maintains the, the voice of, like, I think there were five, right? They were a little Ed- older than that. Edward's mid-teens? Ed's mid-teens, yeah. Alphonse is about a year or two younger than he yeah. is. But Alphonse's vo- his voice is like a young boy because he can't age because he has no like actual body to age he's just sort of trapped um you later learn what's actually going on there but i'm not going to spoil that too much because that's sort of like a big reveal thing so yeah we've already dug into edward and alphonse and that's another aspect of full metal alchemist that's really great is the level of character complexity Mm-hmm. on just the sheer variety of characters and how, despite there being so many, most of them are quite complex and interesting in their own right. And memorable. Yes. There's never a point where you're like, who's that person again? No, you know them. <laughs> yeah. Like Major Alex Louise Armstrong! Yeah. And, I mean, his sister is my, still my favorite character, even though she's also only one note. But, Yeah. <laughs> It's hard to pick just one favorite character yeah. in a Full Metal Alchemist. Even though, yeah, you already named yours, and that's the same as mine. I know! I mean, she's great! <laughs> if, I, if I had to pick a favorite, I'm actually drawing a blank on the name. He's the character who dies fairly early on. Okay, thanks for spoiling things. But yeah, I guess it's sort of... Well, it was you known. His name is... So- Corey's favorite character is the character who dies early on. Let's not name him. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You know what? But he's great. And it's very sad when that person dies because he was so well characterized oh, yeah. and enjoyable and smart. He was getting onto things. 
Yeah, he, that's he, why he does. He's arguably one of the smartest characters in the show, mm-hmm. and he starts figuring things out. And yeah, like Marie said, that's what ultimately leads to the bad guys killing him. Yeah. Um, but it's a really sad moment. Like it hits you yeah. right in the feels. And that was in the original Full Metal Alchemist too. Like that was near the end of it. Um, yeah the the first adaptation they incorporate that is that story element as well. Um, obviously, there's a lot less story there, so yeah. it doesn't have as much doesn't time to sink in. Yeah. Well, I think the other part of it, too, is that death kind of hangs over the rest of the series. Like, it, yeah. it, it's always relevant no matter what's happening. Yeah, because um, he was sort of becoming a um, paternal figure, I'd say, towards Elred, Ed, Edward and Alphonse. And then it's kind of like, nope, bad things happen to good people. <laughs> so, Arakawa uh, does a number of things to make characters likable. The first thing is striking character designs. Mm. Mm-hmm. Everyone looks from first glance. You can kind of tell what their personality may be right away. And it only takes a few panels just from the way they're drawn, from the expressions on their faces. I guess this probably also applies to the show. A lot of visual storytelling goes behind what their emotional reaction to stuff is. Mm -hmm. So you get a really good grasp on what this character is like almost immediately. And then you just dig in Mm -hmm. and it turns out that was only the first layer. Mm -hmm. There are like 12 below that Mm -hmm. that we're going to reveal over the course of the manga. Yeah, I think that's an important point because um, I I mentioned Major... Major Armstrong, who's one of the more fun characters. Mm-hmm. Um, at first glance, he's a melodramatic, muscle-bound goof. And he is. And he, on some <laughs> level, he is. Yeah. But he is also a very skilled alchemist in his own right, which is the universe, as the rules of this universe establish, alchemy is hard. You have to be smart to do it. Like, he, he's not a stupid person, despite coming off as a bit of a clown. And refreshingly, he's brave as hell, actually. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah he, he's not a coward. He He's not, like, the big, strong guy who relies on his size. He is actually useful. Mm-hmm. But his reputation is as a coward mm-hmm. for something that happened in the background of the story. Mm-hmm. And that is just demonstrative of just about every character has something like that mm-hmm. in Full Metal Alchemist, mm-hmm. including the villains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you guys think of the homunculi? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, and this is, I think, also one of those things where, like how in Neon Genesis, also in, like, um, oh, what's, what's it called? A Helsing Ultimate. Like, things that are, like, from Christian theology and mythology are fascinatingly, like, transmuted in, in, through, through Japanese literature in just a super cool way. So you got the, you got the seven deadly sins in this, and... The way they're all kind of incarnated is kind of neat. <laughs> well, so the, the, homunc- the homunculi are artificial humans. They are created by the main villain who... Well, humans is a strong word. <laughs> Sorry. They, phys- <laughs> they physically resemble humans. Um, they're not. They don't have souls the way humans in this universe do. M- many or all of them have some degree of what we be considered supernatural ability. Um, again, alchemy does it in this case. I found the choice of naming them after the Seven Deadly Sins to be a bit weird. It's kind of on the nose. And it's just like, I'm not sure why, other than these are things that you can pull on. But it's like, sure, 
We, but we got some, like, well, I mean, the, God stuff going the on. The only so. one it really suits is Gluttony, because he, he's the big, fat, round one who literally eats people, right? And he, he, like, sucks them into this other dimension. It's like, okay, yes, you, you consume things, and that is how you destroy them. I understand why you're Gluttony. Lust is presented as being beautiful, but it's not like her powers and abilities have anything to do with lust. Likewise, greed has this ability to make his body rock hard and impenetrable. It's like, again, not sure why you're greed. Like, yeah. I, I thought Envy was the most interesting one, personally. But I also, only in his like original tiny form, uh, like um, the little squidgy thing, do you get the Envy and everything else. So I guess that's kind of poetic. Yeah, but it's like sloth. Like, how do you make that... Yeah. Threatening. How do you make that like something a villain can use to their benefit? And he's not like he's not thoughtful. There's it's it, it nearly works is what I'd say about it. It's fine. Like I'm not super mad about it. Mm-hmm. It's just sometimes I'm like eh on that. Yeah, I mean it. It is a bit of an odd choice, I think, just because the theme of the seven deadly sins can only be pushed so far for certain things. Uh, but that being said, like they're all. All seven of the characters, with possibly one exception, are quite interesting in their own rights. Um, they are rounded out as characters. They, they're not just cartoonish villains that exist to be evil. They want things. They're going after things. And largely, like with the protagonists, their actions are justified by their desires. Um, it's just, in this case, the desires of the protagonists are to undo a mistake. Mm-hmm. Which, I guess, is a more noble goal. Yeah, we could go on about characters, but there are a ton of them. Yeah. I think one other character at least worth mentioning is Roy Mustang. Yes. Roy oh, yeah. Reza. Yeah. yeah, so when Edward becomes a state alchemist, Roy Mustang is basically his superior officer. Um, Roy is one of the good guys. He's he's kind of a minor, prote- not minor, but he's a secondary protagonist. And... Their relationship lends itself... It actually it lends both humor and conflict. Because Edward joins the military because he needs the resources. But he always resents that kind of degree of control that the military has over him. Um, where Roy is very much trying to work within the system to achieve his own goals. And so they butt heads constantly. And sometimes it's funny, but sometimes it actually adds drama. Mm-hmm. And Roy is yeah. in long-suffering in many ways. And kind of trapped by the bureaucracy of the military structure. Because I don't know if it's worth moving into, like, some of the structure of this world. But there's a big military structure in this uh, universe. Yeah, and this is a case where the system that they're operating in, they realize, first of all, not great. Mm -hmm. And later on, actively evil. Yeah. So, let's just say it. It's basically a fascist society. Yeah. Um, Basically. I mean, if, I, I if, mean... If, if, it's, if it's not, like, textbook definition of fascist, it's a military junta. Like, it is not a free democratic society. Um, the world, the people in the world are shown to have certain freedoms, but they're not, they're still living in a military-controlled state. It is still a state that exists for the military's benefit, for sure. Mm-hmm. And you find out why, but also this lends to, like, the period that it's sort of put in, because it's clearly, like, 20, like, 20s Germany is, like, the location. Yeah, it's, it's very clearly based off of, like, imperialist World War One kind of Prussia, Austria, 
yeah. type look. Or th- that's and very it's gorgeous <laughs> in its drawing and, and the d- design and the coats. That's why the coats are great all the time in this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's very influenced by Prussian military culture mm-hmm. in terms of character design, architecture. And as we touched on with this fascist state's parallel before, this is also a state that actively participated in a genocide, and the state alchemists all don't feel great about that. Nope. Or at least the state alchemists we care about. Yep. Yeah, that's one thing that's presented. Um, we mentioned Major Armstrong being regarded as a coward. It's because because of the position he holds, namely as a member of the military and as a state alchemist, he and several others were forced to help with this. And that is something that haunts the conscience of many of them. And I think in many ways, that's what makes some of these characters interesting is how much guilt many of them have, but how they're still trying to move forward and do positive things to kind of atone. I I guess atonement is a big theme of this story. Mm-hmm. Whether it's atoning for helping in a genocide, or in the case of the brothers, atoning for a really big mistake. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the group that they move against, um, they're like roughly sort of um, like um, Asia Minor kind of yeah. <laughs> kind of um, group. <laughs> yeah, it's worth pointing out, um, while it is based off of kind of World War One era kind of Prussia, it, it is a very truncated world. Um yeah. Like Marie said, the country they move against, the country where this genocide committed would basically be the equivalent of a modern day Middle Eastern nation. Um, there are characters who show up later on in the story from what is effectively China, yeah. despite the fact that it's like literally you cross a desert and you're there. You don't have to cross the whole world to get to it. Yeah, the, the, uh, it's not Earth at all. It's not like a different, it's a completely different place. Um, but there's a sort of like, because of the in- industry, industrial look of like the German Prussian kind of thing. You kind of get that 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 sort of like I like to like what well, I don't know what there's a name for this trope I think of it as like the fern gully thing where you know industrialists are always the bad guys and it comes across but it's really interesting because like Edward and lots of other people benefit from that industry like because they have their quality of life the auto mail their fabulous coats <laughs> like the structure that they enjoy and move within. That's all from that. But ultimately, there's like an evil at the core of all of this. Well, I think that's kind of an interesting parallel the story presents, though. It's, yes, it's the classic industrialists are evil, but it's making the point that industrialism is being used for evil, Mm -hmm. not that it doesn't have the potential Mm -hmm. to be good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what makes this story way more engaging for adults. Mm -hmm. Because you mentioned the example of Fern Gully. That's typically the level entertainment age aimed at this age group is operating at. Mm -hmm. And Full Metal Alchemist is taking it a lot further. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And presenting a much more substantive moral universe. And it's definitely PG. Like, unlike Cyber 6, which we just reviewed, like, you get see people get, like, shot in the head. Like, there's this stuff there that you can't show to small kids mm-hmm. in Full Metal Alchemist. And nor would they really want to watch this, I think. It wouldn't... 
it's not like the Lego film where there's something always going on that could do, like, make your eyes look at the screen. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> despite the target age group, it is a very mature story. Like, yeah. it, it it trusts its audience to be intelligent. It doesn't insult mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. by pretending that these are simple issues. And it's why Edward has to grow up, because it's a mature issue going on, and he has to... And he does, even though some of his character traits remain, like being mad about being short (laughs) and being driven, he does have to alter overall. So he has an arc of growth. Mm -hmm. Everyone does. Yeah. um, I I will say briefly to touch on that, um, the first adaptation of the show, just regular Fullmetal Alchemist, um, the ending differs so wildly that you're not even talking about the same thing. So I, I would actually advise skipping it. It's not bad, but you don't need to watch it. But it, part of Edward's maturing is he is left marked by his experiences. At the end of this, you know, they've got their goals, they're pursuing. Edward still has remnants of everything he's gone through to remind him of what happened. And he has to make a big sacrifice to fix his mistake. There's no, like... What's nice about the ending thing, to talk about it in a very oblique way, is that you can't go back just by saying sorry. You still did something wrong, and you still have to pay for it. Yeah. So you need actually more sacrifice is what's required. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Edward fixes his mistake. He doesn't fix himself. So I I think that's one important thing to remember as well, because despite the fact that it is a story very much about the two brothers... Edward is the instigator. It was Edward's idea to try bringing back their mother. It was Edward's own hubris mm-hmm. that caused it. And the story is very much about him being humbled. Mm-hmm. And then having to accept that. Yeah, and then it, at, at the end of the story, he needs to accept the humility yeah. he's been forced to endure. Because, uh, and he realizes that the thing that has driven him to try to change all that is that there's other things that are that are very important. And it's in the title of the version! So anyway. So yeah. Actions have permanent consequences. Mm-hmm. The driving force behind these two brothers is trying to reverse a consequence. Mm-hmm. And the through line of their experience is that you can't. Yeah. I mean, the... This is, this is a spoiler I'm about to say, but it's not really surprising. It just sort of, it's about the metaphysics of the world, because you get the initial promise, which is sort of this hope that somehow you could do, they call it transmutation, bringing someone back from the dead, um, that you could somehow do transmutation. You can't. <laughs> at no point, like there's, there's like points at the very beginning where you might think that maybe this is a story where the characters will figure that out. They don't. It's not that they try to. It's not that they figure out how to do what they initially failed at. Is they finally come to accept that? Yeah, we shouldn't have done that in the first place. Yeah. And trying to do a consequenceless action and getting around this law of equivalent exchange requires doing something so awful mm-hmm. <laughs> that you cannot really justify it. But the bad guys will do it. Well, so that is kind of one aspect of it too, because al- alchemy in this universe, um, like you mentioned, the law of equivalent exchange, it operates on the basic principle that first off, you need physical components. Um, so alchemy is effectively chemistry and you can't get something unless you put something in it as well. And to get a philosopher's stone, which is kind of one of their goals along the way, because they figure this to be a way to get what they want it turns out to make a philosopher's stone requires like a horrific nightmarish scenario. In fact, like I'm not without 
getting too much into spoiler territory. You might guess from what we've said so far, but hey. <laughs> yeah, and so it's even that is not free of exchange. You still need to put some. I mean, yeah, yeah. using the stone yeah. itself, it, it costs more than yeah. what you get. It ultimately have to. It costs more. Yeah, I mean, using the stone may be free of consequence. Making the stone is far from free of consequence. If we were to put this into a subgenre, I guess you'd call it diesel punk. Yeah. Diesel punk fantasy. Yeah, relatively. Science uh, fantasy, diesel punk, those all work. Gaslight. Yeah. Well, gaslight's yeah, a bit I, yeah. I wrote an article about how Japan has a lot of these kind of industrial fantasies in these kind of settings. Mm-hmm. And even though the term diesel punk and steampunk come out of Western science fiction, there are not nearly as many successful examples. Mm-hmm. This is a really good one. Yeah. Full Metal Alchemist is almost the top tier example of what you can get doing this kind of industrial fantasy. Yeah. And I mean, because it's so good, it kind of knocks out any other attempts, to be honest. Like, it's like, well, we have this and. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that's the problem with a genre this spe- this kind of subspecialized is that once you've got like a good seminal example, what's the point of doing another? Mm-hmm. And reading it from a Western perspective has the added layer of intrigue because the design principles and inspirations behind Full Metal Alchemist are all taken from Western sources, but they're not quite interpreted in the way you might expect. So I almost feel like we get an extra little bit of mystery and got an intrigue out of that. Mm-hmm. It's just like, how is this going to be interpreted? Mm-hmm. Oh, you you approach this thing that way? Yeah. Well, so that's one interesting thing about um, manga and anime in general, especially in things like Full Metal Alchemist, where they're drawing on Western sources for inspiration. Well, it's... I'd say it gets super interesting in Helsing Ultimate before, because it's wacky. <laughs> but anyway. I mean, when, when something you're used to and familiar with is given back to you, but filtered through another cultural lens, it, it adds more layer to it. It, it makes it more interesting. In, in some regards, it makes it more interesting. Mm-hmm. It can. It can. It yes, can. sorry. Can is the correct word. Um, because... Again, you know the tropes, but you don't recognize the filter, so that changes them just enough to make them novel and to make them new. Well, it's like Shijaku Endo's Silence, which is written by a Japanese person. Such a good book. It's an amazing book um, about a Portuguese Jesuit, right? Like, And yet he hits the note so close, and yet it's just still like the way he's done it, and it's that makes it so compelling. It's, yeah. So it, it's like on that level of good, I'd say. It's just an anime manga version of something like Silence. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm going to get into some manga-specific stuff here. Mm-hmm. Mainly Hiromu Arakawa. To describe even the level of skill, this is on the level of our discussion of Bone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just how good the artwork and paneling in Full Metal Alchemist is. Like, there's a little bit of shakiness at the beginning, but once Arakawa hits her stride, uh, it's it's hard to find anything with this level of commercial appeal in manga that looks this good and is executed to this level of perfection mm-hmm. <laughs> in terms of skill. Now, I will turn that over to you. 
in comparison to other anime, what is Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood like on a technical skill level? Well, I think it's very complete because it has probably so many references. Like, if you're thinking about, like, how people make CGI, if they have an actual reference in camera to the thing that they're trying to render in CGI, this is the same thing. It looks the same because they probably have so many backgrounds and I don't know if the manga is not necessarily colored, I would think, but no. like the covers would give you some kind of idea. Um, so I think it's just because they'd have so much reference material to draw from. That's why I think everything I think looks and probably moves similar to the manga in terms of how you might tra- transition from scene to scene. Like there's no points where I think there's like blocking that looks weird. I'd also say it, say that there's nothing that's like amazingly cool like there is in some kind of like um in some like anime films and things like it's I'd say that the animation's like steady and good and competent and very well done but I wouldn't say that there's necessarily anything really innovative about the animation um I think I'd agree with that it's the thing the thing I'm not saying it's bad you know the thing about the show (laughs) is from a Purely from an aesthetic animation perspective, it, it, it is just competently, or it is above competently done. It's not breaking any molds, or it's not starting anything new, but it's not just falling back on by the numbers kind of drawing. Mm-hmm. Um, again, what makes this so work so well is that you've got a very strong story, very strong characters being presented in a very, or being very well presented. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, it, it doesn't do anything new with the animation, but it doesn't need to because all the other elements are already so strong. Yeah, the story is uh, really and, good. I mean, frankly, I'll take a good story with... Mm-hmm. I'll take an amazing story with good animation over amazing animation with a mediocre story. Yeah, like, I was about to compare it to Cyber 6 because we just did that last time. Because <laughs> I think Cyber 6 might be a little more innovative in the animation because that's, like, got such a... Thing going on there. Mm-hmm. This one, I think, is probably something you could rewatch a lot more easily. <laughs> yeah, well, and compa- I, I will say to compare the two show, the two versions of the show. Um, the the first attempt, which was done while the show or while the comic was still coming out with no real end in sight, you can tell when they're padding it out. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certain parts of the story that become whole story arcs in and of themselves that in Brotherhood are literally, like, an episode. Um, or not even an episode. I remember there's one part near the beginning in Brotherhood where they get on a train. And that's, like, ten minutes. They're on the train, they get where they're going, that's it. Um, the train journey is stretched out to a whole story arc in the original version of the show. And, again, that's due exclusively to the fact that Brotherhood has a more complete story to draw on. Yeah. The, the, I mean, the pacing's really good. Uh, what I meant by not innovative, like, sometimes you see, like, a drawn animation where, like, things will pan around something like it's a camera, or they'll do, like, a really cool shot. Like, I don't, I can't think of anything that's like that, but everything looks good. Like, it's just, like, really solidly done, um, which is great. I think they did, so I think they were focusing on trying to make a full translation from the manga, and they did that because now the manga was done. There was already, like, the original show. So I think this show was meant to just showcase the manga as an anime. And they did it really 
very well. (laughs) Comparing it to film, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there are some filmmakers who very much use the cinematography in their storytelling. Like, oh, brother, where art thou? Yeah. um, Full Metal Alchemist, it it doesn't use the cinematography to tell the story, but it doesn't need to. Yeah. It's got so many other ways of doing it that it doesn't need to draw on that aspect of it. I mean, it's beautiful. And hey, in the anime version, the coats move, and they are great. So, <laughs> yeah, I mentioned propulsive storytelling earlier, and when you have propulsive visual storytelling, that lends itself to cinematic adaptation. <laughs> like, I know reading this, I went, yeah, this would definitely translate into a really good show mm-hmm. when you're reading the manga. But going back to the manga, in terms of style, I find it so good that it's hard to talk about. Yeah. yeah. Like, you just end up blubbering, like, everything looked great! Yeah! Well, you know, maybe we just need to move on from this, because, you know, a bunch of people talking about how great something is not that exciting, maybe. Well, that's kind of where we leave off, I think, of yeah. Full Metal Alchemist. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a good Full time. Metal Alchemist. I don't know why you kept listening to this podcast, but you did. <laughs> Thanks. And, uh, yeah. Strongly recommend. Good story. Yeah, um... Major General Olivier Mira Armstrong is the best person. (laughs) Also strongly recommend, um, haven't read the comic, do plan to one day. If you're going to watch the show, just skip straight to Brotherhood. There's no reason to watch the other version. Yeah. They got a lot of the same voice actors, too. I think they have, like, all the same voice actors, actually. I think they had basically all of them, yeah. Which is why, when I watched Brotherhood, because I had seen some of Fullmetal Alchemist, like, on Teletoon or something... As a kid, I was sort of confused because some things looked and sounded so similar, but they weren't. (laughs) So, just watch Brotherhood. Before we wrap things up here, I wanted to ask you guys if you watched or read anything recently that you'd like to bring up and enjoyed, just so people have a more extended to-read or watch list Mm. in this year, 2020, in our time of troubles. Yeah, future recommendations? Well, I'm starting Blindness right now, which is hilarious to read something about a pandemic. (laughs) So, I'm currently reading Woken Furies. I'm forgetting the author's name off the top of my head, but it's the third book in the Altered Carbon series. Mm which I highly recommend the first two for sure, and I, despite not being very far, I already get the sense that I'm going to highly recommend Woken Furies as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if you like typical cyberpunk done extremely well, it is the series for you. Uh, something that I, I've i already referenced, Shushaku Endo's Silence. I, I Shusaku. Think, Shusaku, my apologies. Endo's Silence, that is a very good book. It's sad, but it's very good. Um, I don't think if there's like something that I've watched that's been. Uh... We recently watched Blade One and Two. Yeah. Oh, but better. We watched Blade Runner twenty twenty forty nine. That was good. Yes, that was really good. Um, I will say, if you're gonna watch Blade Runner twenty forty nine, you do have to watch the original. Twenty forty nine is a direct sequel. Many parts of it make no sense without seeing the original. I mean, the original barely makes sense with the first time you're going through it anyway, sometimes. Depending on, on which one you're watching and how often that's the kind of thing you usually watch. Yeah. So, you know. I'm going to throw in some anime and manga. Not too long ago, I watched Cowboy Bebop the movie, <laughs> which I enjoyed even more than I thought I would. <laughs> They were able to do stuff in the movie that they would not be allowed to do in the TV show. Hmm. 
all the same characters, the same great storytelling. It doesn't feel like an episode that was just extended to an hour and a half. It's definitely a film, tells its own self-contained story, and I highly recommend it. I also recently read the two-volume manga Ryuko, which is by an artist whose name I probably can't pronounce. <laughs> but before he re- he did these uh, two comic books, he was known for doing large art pieces that featured this character, who's like this Yakuza lady. And he decided to tell a story about her. And it doesn't have the level of skill of Full Bell Alchemist in the storytelling, but you flip open to any one page in Ryuko, and it looks like nothing you've ever seen before. <laughs> so for the artwork alone, the story's a mess, but for the artwork alone, I recommend reading it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's so funny that at the beginning of this episode, you, or somewhere near there, you mentioned that your entry into anime was Watamote. Because I was scrolling through your podcast list. I remember, I saw that, and I was like, oh yeah, I remember we did a podcast on that where you told me about it, because I watched a very short part of it, but I completely forgot that that existed. And now look at you. <laughs> How's Attack on Titan going? Terribly. Don't read it. <laughs> I had to stop. Something happens that is, um... Hmm. Ruining everything? How shall I put it? A bit fascist. <laughs> uh, thematically, it becomes irresponsible. So if you don't like anti-Semitic stuff in your fiction, just stay away from Attack on Titan. Oh, wow. Well, that's good to know. Jesus. Well, that's distressing. Because I was hoping anyway, that this could be something I could uh, watch when it's all done. But I guess Good not. we didn't record a podcast on it. Yeah, But you can find po- our podcast episodes about other things <laughs> at onelastsketch.wordpress.com. We are also on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and Stitcher Radio. You can find me at the same website. I'm also on a bunch of social media at One Last Sketch and on DeviantArt. Where can we find you, Marie? Well, you can find me at iatropexy.wordpress.com. Or more easily through the website Shrink and Expand, also on Twitter, although I use on very euphemistically. And Corey's not anywhere. Well, Thanks for listening. <laughs> Corey is, in fact, just a, a sentient spirit attached to animated armor. No, I'm a highly intelligent shade of the color blue, honestly. Ooh, maybe we should review that next. <laughs>